Hey, this is Kip Winger, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Hey, this is Rob Rock, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, it's Red Beach from Whitesnake, and you're listening to Sean on Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 264 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Sean, coming from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Starting things off with this episode, we have an interview with winger and Whitesnake guitarist Reb Beach. Whitesnake has a new album coming out next month called The Purple Album. It's a celebration of David Coverdale's time in the band Deep Purple. Before we get to that interview, though, here's a track from that album. Here's Whitesnake's version of Stormbringer. Ladies and gentlemen, with me on the line, I've got guitarist Reb Beach from White Snake and Winger. How you doing today, Reb? Hey, Sean, I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, it's always great uh, talking to a local musician who's uh, made it good. Um, what I want to talk about first is, uh, you know, you guys are finishing up, I guess, the tour cycle on the newest Winger album. Um, album's been out for just about a year now. Um, can you talk a little bit about this album, um, uh, Better Days Coming, and like the recording process and the writing pro- process behind a Winger album? Sure, yeah. Um, we, you know, we do it the same way that we did it 20 years ago. We've always done it the same way. It's just me and Kip in a room. And if you get the deluxe edition of the record, you, there's a DVD, like a making of DVD. It's actually really cool, very mm-hmm. interesting. Um, to see, you know, Kip Winger at work. He's a freaking genius. I mean, he mixes the whole thing. And, you know, the the Winger records sound so good, right. uh, really, compared to anything else that's coming out now. Um, he, you know, studies engineering and the whole thing. Um, but me and him just sit in the room, drink a couple of beers, and uh, he just, he just kind of says, all right, go for it. 
and I play guitar riffs right. all day long. I just sit there and play guitar riffs, and he goes, that one, what's that? And I say, I have no idea. I, I totally don't even know what I played, and obviously he is recording it, thank God. So we rewind, and uh, I learned the riff that I just played, and then that'll be the verse, you know? But the cool thing about winter music is that it's always a riff, you know? Right. It's always a guitar lick, like Smoke on the Water or something like that. It's not just chords. Um, that's one thing I really like about Winger is that you can come up with guitar riffs and I'm pretty good at it. Um, and then Kip's an arranger, you know, he studied mm-hmm. at Juilliard and, and so he, we can, you know, we wrote 17 Madeleine and Time to Surrender the first day we started writing together wow. in one day. And we wrote the whole album in 10 days that uh, the whole last album in 10 days and. Uh, it's, it's basically a song a day is what we do. You know, just the, the basis for the song. Right. Um, and so, yeah, and, and it's a really, really cool record for sure. You know, it did really well. And uh, we we tried a couple of new things. Better Days Coming, the actual song is, is a funk song. Yeah. Which we've never done. <laughs> um, yeah, you mentioned doing some different things. Uh, and I noticed there's a lot of, you know, some of the album had like a more progressive feel towards it. Was that uh, intentional to try and do something like different than what you've done in the past? It, it, that's the thing. Is it's totally not different than we've done in the past. <laughs> there's tons of progressive winger stuff, you know. You just got to find it. It's, um, right. Winger 4 was a completely progressive record. Um, you know, ever since back in the day, I mean, you know, our second album, Rainbow and the Rose, um, mm-hmm. and the third album, there was some progressive stuff on there. And, uh, you know, th- there is one thing that w- was like seriously progressive on this new record. That's, that's the one thing that is different. It's like, you know, really as progressive as you can possibly get. <laughs> you know? right. It's like it starts with a piano, and it, and it happened in a really cool way. Um, Kip just started playing this thing on the piano, and I picked up the guitar, and you know he was in six eight, and I was in four four. So, and it actually comes together and meets every twenty four bars. Right. Um, and it, it was uh, it it was like an epiphany, you know, like oh my god, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I, now I forget what the freaking song is called, but it's on there. Because um, we played it. Yes, Tin Soldier. That's it. Thank you. Um, we played it once in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, you know they love it over there. They love their progressive stuff, and that's a that's a very cool song for sure. I love yeah. that song. Yeah, that's actually uh, probably and you my... and you can do it when you got Ron Morgenstein in the band. You know, we can we can go in some different areas because we've got a very famous jazz drummer in the band. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, got toward, I was saying uh, Tin Soldier is probably one of my uh, favorite songs on the album. Um, yeah. Now, you, you mentioned writing riffs and stuff, and, and that's, you know, very important. One thing I wanted to mention is, you know, I mean, Winger has a lot of very memorable riffs, you know, you can, they just kind of stick with you. You know, how do you, like, when you're writing riffs, do you just do it on the fly or is there anything that you you kind of have an idea in your head beforehand or do you have like a little, you know? No. Now, Kip does a thing on stage with me where he's like, Reb can write a riff, like, instantly. Reb, <laughs> write a riff, you know? <laughs> so he makes me write a riff in front of 2,000 people, 
Right. You know, I had to just do it and just whatever comes out of my fingers, you know, but I just kind of think James Bond, you know, just think like, you know, down, 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 just anything cool that makes you feel cool um, is good. Right. You know, you don't want something happy and tra-la-la. It's got to be mean and manly and rock. <laughs> Right, right. Oh, and it, yeah, you know, I've I haven't uh, seen you guys. I guess recently. I think the last time I saw you was, you know, back in the, in the nineties. Schedules haven't. Oh wow! Oh, we had a great gig in Pittsburgh. Killer gig at Alter Bar. Yeah, when yeah. I, I wanted to make that. I just uh, my schedule wasn't uh, working out. Um, I imagine you know playing Pittsburgh is always a big thrill for you. Um, you know, I remember seeing you with yeah. uh, Alice Cooper at the uh, Icy Light. Uh, that was a great show. That, yeah. Was that the show where there was a moon, a full moon out right behind us? Yeah. And um, and he, he gave me, like, the most fabulous introduction. It was a great night for me. He's a great guy. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Really, one of the coolest people. I'm Probably the coolest person I've ever met is Alice. Yeah, I, I've had the pleasure of meeting him once or twice, and yeah, he's he uh, is a nice. He's so guy. normal. Yeah, very very funny, very down to earth. He's a family man. Um, loves his golf, and you know he taught me how to play poker. Every night <laughs> we play poker, and he taught me. Uh, and I was the second best on the bus, but no one can beat Alice. Wow. Well, um, yeah, you've had you know you've had a career where you got to play with a lot of greats like Alice Cooper and and you know you played with Dawkin and Night Ranger and and now you're with uh, David Coverdale and White Snake. Um, is that something like I mean, how what's that like for you? Like, is that kind of surreal at a point? Is there a time when you're thinking to yourself, well, I can't believe I'm on stage with Alice Cooper or David Coverdale and you know because you know these are probably people that you listened to when you were growing up too, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I bought that White Snake album immediately when it came out, the '87 record. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything about him before that. I mean, the first I ever heard was, you know, Still of the Night. I heard that on DVE, and I was hooked. I rushed right out and bought that. Right. But they were they were just a blues band um, that formed after Deep Purple mm-hmm. in England. Um, and they, it was kind of like a blues rock thing, you know. And then they got a little heavier. We slide it in, and then they got super heavy with the American thing when they just hit here really big. Um, yeah, so is it surreal for me? No, it's I've been on stage since I was at Fox Chapel High School, you know, right. Fox Chapel Country Day School, even, you know, in the fifth grade. I was, you know, I was in Oliver and I was in, you know, I was Pippin. I, you know, think about the sun, Pippin. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like that's what I did. Like I just, I had a stage mother, and she pushed me up there, and I just got used to audiences and performing, and it became my living. Um, so for me, it's really, you know, just all about the show. And yeah, there's moments. There's moments when you're playing in front of eighty thousand people, and you feel like a rock star. You feel right. like, wow, this is this is what I sat on that plane for 27 hours for and this is what this is what i wanted you know i was voted most likely to become a rock star at folks <laughs> fox chapel high school when i graduated and i knew that i was gonna be successful as soon as i saw kiss right <laughs> <laughs> when i saw kiss i'm like i can do that <laughs> i know exactly how to do that so that's what i worked towards um and, uh, you know, yeah, sure, you have those moments, but you really, you know, you're not thinking about that 
very often you're up there doing your job. Right, right. Now, talking about you know David Coverdale and White Snake, uh, there's a new album coming out called uh, the Purple Album, which is I guess a tribute to David Coverdale's time with uh, Deep Purple. Um, can you talk about this album? Was that uh, you know? Sure. Um, so the album comes out in May, I believe, and there's already a video for uh, Stormbringer, which is a really cool video. Um, when you guys, were, how did the uh, did David was this all David's idea to do this or was oh, yeah. there and um can you talk about learning the songs doing the songs like the pre-production of the songs was there anything like you guys wanted to change around with the songs to make it you know more modern yeah. or did you try and uh keep it as you know was recorded back then No um I co-produced the record with David what happened was Doug left the band and right. I went in and uh said, okay, what are we doing? And he told me about this uh, Deep Purple idea, and I was completely stoked. You know, I hadn't even heard that music. I I'd, I'd mm-hmm. never even had records. I was like 12. Right. And so I went out, bought the records, and loved everything. Every song that he chose to do, I thought was fabulous. And so I got super excited about it. And the way I heard it, was different than the way David heard it. I went went into it and said, okay, let's make this as raw as possible. Let's just make this sound like a band, just like those guys did back then. Right. You know, it's just not a lot of overdubs. It's just two guitars, one on the left, one on the right. Um, you know, you can totally hear everything. And, and that's sort of what I went in that with. And David said, no. He said, listen, this is a White Snake record. The whole point of me doing this is because I, I want to see what it sounds like when White Snake makes it up you know mm-hmm. um which was which was cool and so we went in and uh you know got the guys and made it a white snake production um yes we changed the arrange the arrangements on almost every song uh and david was really good at it he had a lot of ideas i was very surprised at what a good songwriter david was you know i always wondered like gosh did he really write all that stuff and yeah he did he knows wow. his stuff he knows what he wants. He picks up a guitar and plays you what he hears. Um, you know, and there's there's like new sections all over the record. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but was... I lived with you know I lived with him for six months doing the record. Oh wow. Yeah. So living with Coverdale was really an amazing experience. That is when I definitely was going, "Wow, is this really happening?" Because <laughs> he's a legend. Right. And to wake up in the morning with a little hangover. You know, walk into the kitchen and there's David Coverdale and all his splendor. And even at <laughs> eight in the morning, you know, he's he's like rebellious. How are you this fine morning? You know, and I'm like, I'm fine, fine, David. <laughs> you know, I'm just a bum. And you know, like he, he's like a British aristocrat. He's like royalty, you know. Yeah. And uh, um, he's really, really funny. Super funny guy. I mean, he just has me in stitches all day long. Um, and it was great working with him. Love working with him. We, uh, we really, I think we uh, are a good, good team for sure, but I'm excited, really excited about the record. I think some people are, you know, going like, Oh, I thought it was all new songs. Um, yeah, it, you know, that'll happen one day I'm sure. But, uh, I thought this was a fabulous idea and it, it really, really rocks. For sure, you know, it's I, rocking. It's you know, burn and all those cool songs. Just right. get a giant band. It's really rocking. 
It is. I mean, if you think about it too, there will be new songs for a lot of people because I mean, right? You know, that's I, what I thought. I didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't really that familiar with that era of Deep Purple. I mean, that was I was born in '73, so you know that you know that was a little bit, you know, I was too young to listen to it then. You know, the Deep Purple right. I'm familiar with is you know the Perfect Strangers and, and that. Yes. And, yeah. uh, you know, in like just watching the video for Stormbringer, I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, it's that's a white snake. It sounded like a white snake song. It sounded like it was it was great. And, you know, I went and I listened to the, you know, the old version. And, yeah, there's a lot mm-hmm. of differences. But, you know, this it's 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 a new experience. I mean, it's going to be a new song for some. It's going to be a new experience for the people who've, who've, who've listened to that before. Yeah, that and that song in particular has a lot more production than the other songs okay. on there just because of it's a storm you know and david wanted it to be you know stormy right so there's a there's a bunch of this like crazy noises and you know like, all this all this gnarly stuff going on <clears throat> the other stuff on the record is you know m- more straightforward anyway you know just more like uh two and four rock right. um with just you know straight ahead guitars and just in your face. David sings his butt off off on the record. Oh yeah, really? I mean, it's you should you should hear some of the tunes. I mean, he's singing way up there, and he's you know he's in his sixties. Oh, it, it's amazing listening to him sing because he sounds just like he did back when you know the nineteen eighty seven White Snake album came out. Um, you know, it's it's amazing how he does all that. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, on this song, he he kind of sang it guttural on purpose, mm-hmm. um, and he he sounds uh, even more like the '87 record on the other tunes. Cool, cool. Now, uh, Joel Hoekstra recently uh, joined the band, replacing uh, Doug Aldrich. Was that a big transition, or did he just kind of you know fit right in? He was the first guy to submit something. He was just right on it, mm-hmm. and um, David loved him. Uh, he plays a killer acoustic guitar, and he looks great. Uh, so he got the gig, and uh, it was a very simple transition. Uh, he just came out, and you know, he's he's one of those guys that's like like a machine, you know, mm-hmm. that like knows every detail about um, music notation, and and you know, he can just read anything on the spot. He's a Broadway dude, you know, right. so. Um, he came in and just wowed all of us with the fact that he could burn a solo like a like a minute long solo <clears throat> and then play exactly the same thing. Like he'd say, "Oh, let me try that again. I'll I'll do the same one," and he just played the whole thing perfectly all the way through again. And he said, well, "Let me try this one. I, I I got another some other ideas." And he for another like a totally different solo, he played it perfectly. He said, "All right, let me double that," and then he doubled it perfectly. And he's one of those guys that can play upside down and reverse, and you know, in his sleep, wow. and he can play anything. So um, it's very cool to have him on board, and, and we work really well together. You know, I got lazy on a couple songs and said, um, "Yes, what's the harmony? Figure out the harmony," because <laughs> he can right. do it in like three seconds. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's so good to have him in the band. Cool. And like Joel, what's the harmony? He's like A sharp. <laughs> <laughs> Now you got the the White Snake tour starting up, and you've got uh, the Winger tour uh, finishing up probably April, I believe. The Winger tour, you got some dates out on the West, and then you've got the White Snake tour. Do you, are you guys going to do any rehearsals for the White Snake tour? Do you guys have you started thinking oh, yeah. about what's going to happen with that tour yet? 
oh my god, are you kidding me? It's all I think about. I wake up in the morning and um, I'm buying all new clothes. I have to buy in ears, which are the the monitors that you right. use in your ears. They're really expensive, and you have to go to a doctor and and get uh, get your ear molded. Um, you know, I need a wireless system because David doesn't want us on cable anymore. Uh, I'm getting new equipment. You know, I'm getting like a digital delay so I can do that Blackmore thing. You know. Right. Where you, He'll like play a, like a cool whammy lick and then just stop and it'll go quack 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 like a duck or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's cool. I make my guitar sound like a duck. <laughs> um, anyway, you know, there's tons of stuff going on. Um, there's a DVD and you know, there's all kinds of all kinds of stuff we're doing to get ready for this. But rehearsals start May 15th. You know, I'm, I'm the music director, so I have to get the set list together. Right. Um, and uh, you know, get a keyboard player, all kinds of stuff. Now, are you guys going to be playing the whole album, or like as a tribute thing, or is it going to be a uh, you know select songs from the Purple album, and then all the you know the White Snake greatest hits? Yeah, that's exactly what it'll be. Cool. The latter. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, cool. And you know, I'm looking forward to that. That's uh, you guys are playing Palace Theater. Uh, forget the date exactly. Twenty um, first. Twenty first. July twenty first. Cool. I think. Or I, I might have that wrong because I'm actually playing there on Saturday, which is March 21st. So I might have them mixed up. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, I mean, you got a lot going on. How do you uh, how do you keep it? You know, uh, yeah, you got uh, you guys are opening for uh, Blue Oyster Cult, the Red Beach project uh, at the Palace. That's right. Um, That's how do you uh, how do you keep it? How do you keep it all in order? You know, it's like going from Winger to you know the solo stuff to the White Snake and like <clears> one right after another. Do you get any downtime for yourself <laughs> uh you know normally normally uh when an interview would ask me boy gosh Reb, you must be so busy between white snake and winger and i always go oh yeah i'm a busy guy <laughs> i am so busy when in fact no i was never busy ever <laughs> it was like you know winger would play on the weekends here and there and white snake you know they take a year off every year right so before i was promoted um, I didn't never had to do anything. Just show up, you know, drink a beer and play guitar. The songs I've known for twelve years. I've been in Whitesnake longer than anyone else, right. and um, I know all the songs and all that. And same with Winger. I already know all the songs, so there's really no work for me. Well, that all changed this last year, moving in with David, and you know, doing Winger gigs while I'm co-producing the record. Um, no, I had no time for myself and I just didn't know what it was like until here I am 51 years old. And now I know what it's like to absolutely have no free time whatsoever. <laughs> um, but it was a good year, you know, I worked right. really hard and I did well and it all came out very good for me. Um, do you ever think about you know how long you've been doing this and where you come because you know if like for example in the heart of the young is going to be celebrating its 25th anniversary uh this year in july is that uh or do you just like oh, i'm just going to keep looking forward and keep trucking or uh you know do you look back at your career and think wow i've done a hell of a lot and this is really cool <laughs> I'm pat myself on the back um I don't. I don't do that. I don't go. You know, gosh, I'm great. No, no I mean I, that's not what I was. You I know. know I, was, I know what you mean, though. Like, do I? Am I happy that that happened? Yeah. Um, you know, I always feel. 
you know, like the grass is always greener. I always feel like, man, if Winger had come out in 86 instead of 89, <laughs> I'd be like a good billionaire. Um, you know, we were an 80s band that came out in 89. Right. When the 80s was almost over. Um, and, you know, our best record was Pull. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody bought it because Beavis and Butthead came out the week before. <laughs> so, you know, I, and I had all my eggs in that basket. I figured that record was going to be a smash. We had a hit on there down in Cognito, and that that was it for that. Um, so, you know, I have um, regrets about it, and I that tends to overshadow right. <laughs> my, yeah, like my exciting, my excitingness of. Uh, of actually being successful. But, you know, you know, Winger's still touring and Winger's still a name out there. And that's something too. I mean, yeah, there is the nineties were tough for a lot of music, but you know, a lot of the bands survived and they're still around today. But, you know, I love that with Winger, I love that I've got Kip. He's my best friend. Mm-hmm. And when you're on stage with someone that is your best friend and you've been doing it with, for so long with, it's a great feeling. It's also a really great feeling to have a singer like that in yeah. the band, you know, cause you know, no matter what, you're going to blow everybody away. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, with David Coverdale, it's, 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 um, a little different just cause he's a legend. So yeah, you, sometimes you, you know, when he does that still of the night scream and I'm up there with him, you know, <laughs> he does that really right. high one on the breakdown section. <laughs> He hits that, and so many times I'll just get shivers. You know, oh, like, yeah. oh god, I'm getting off on this so hard because you know there he is, there's right. man, and he still hits that note. It's really a great feeling for sure. Cool, cool. Well, um, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the Purple album. You know, Stormbringer is a great song. It's a great lead-off track. And uh, looking forward to hearing the rest of it. And, uh, you know, wish you good luck on the rest of the Winger Tour and the future upcoming White Snake Tour. And uh, we'll definitely be seeing you around. Oh, that's great. You know, Sean, thanks for talking with me. I, I enjoyed it very much. And I know you're really going to like the record. Cool. It's it's we, I'm really proud of it, um, and you know I listen to it all the time, and uh, there's a lot of very cool things that we did. Uh, I can't wait for it to get out there and to hear if people like it as much as I do. I think they're gonna. Okay, I'd like to thank Reb for taking the time to talk to us. I've always been a big fan of his, and I really enjoyed talking to him. White Snake's new album, The Purple Album, comes out on May 19th. they got a tour starting shortly after that, which will be hitting the Pittsburgh area on July 20th at the Palacin in Greensburg. Up next on the program, John had a chance to talk to Impelitary vocalist Rob Rock. Impelitary has a new album coming out on April 21st called Venom. Before we get to John's interview, though, here is a track from that album. This is We Own the Night. <laughs>
Ladies and gentlemen, great pleasure. I welcome from the band Impelitary. I have Rob Rock on the line. How are you doing, Rob? Doing great. How are you doing, John? Very, very well. I'm glad to get a chance to talk to you. Impelitary is a band that uh, I, I know many of the people in my generation is, is one that we've heard of. I personally was a huge fan of, uh, you know, when the first album came out back in, was 88, uh, with, uh, you know, stand in line and, and a lot of those great hits and, and been a big fan of Chris's playing and you're singing for all these years. So it's wonderful to get a chance to get you on the line. Um, you guys have a new album coming out. It's the first one in quite a while. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what brought the album together at this time? Well, the new album is called Venom and, uh, I think it was like five, maybe six years since the last release, which was Wicked Maiden. And, um, I don't know, things all just came together. I mean, after Wicked Maiden, you know, we, we all did some other projects and stuff, and then uh, we had gotten called up for a Korean tour, and we had gotten together to uh, to rehearse for the Korean tour, mm-hmm. and Chris had written some material, so we started dabbling in that material as opposed to rehearsing for the Korean tour. Sure. But uh, the Korean tour actually ended up getting canceled because of a typhoon that hit the uh, festival site. They wiped it out. Right. So we spent that time working on these new songs, and uh, basically uh, that's how the album got done at this time. It was like perfect time. Everybody was available. We're all in the same room, and uh, it just worked out great. Yeah, now when you approach um, your material with, with Chris versus your own solo material or other projects you've been involved with, um, obviously Chris is known as, Worldwide is kind of the, the shredder of all shredders. Um, is a singer? How do, how do you do? You have to prepare differently for that. I know, obviously, in your solo material, you still got killer guitar as well. But you know, Chris is Chris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Chris is Chris. You know, I've known Chris from way back. We go, we go way back, and uh, Chris has always been a shredder. And I've always had to make room for him vocally. I mean, once once the solo starts, I'm nowhere to be found. You know, mm-hmm. it's, all Chris. it's Chris and Thomas every time. But as a songwriter, I think Chris is uh, very very uh, prolific in writing some great songs, as opposed to just shred fest. You know, sure, he's definitely a song oriented guy. So normally, what happens is he'll send me uh, some riffs or a demo of a song that he's demoed up. And then I'll come up with melody ideas over that and send it back to him. And he'll say, oh, that's great. Or in some cases, he'll say, oh, you know, I had this idea while I was coming up with this riff. Try that. And then we'll go back and forth. And once we decide on which melodies we're going to use, then I, I just I take it off and write the lyrics and uh, and take it from there. Right. And he uh, basically does the rest. Yeah, no. Do you – and I know obviously when I – you know, I think when people think of you as a singer – you know, melodic certainly gets into it. You know, I mean, obviously you've got range to spare, uh, but always a great sense of melody in your writing. Um, do you, are, are there times where you come up with vocal melodies outside of what Chris is doing, or do you always kind of wait for the shell of the song and try to put your, a melody to what he's already done, or how do you pair up a vocal melody to a guitar riff? Um, usually if I have a vocal melody in mind, a lot of times that'll come from a lyric, but then you're right, I have to apply it to the riff or to the music that's going on underneath. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of gets adjusted again. Okay. But for me, it's when I'm uh, setting up a melody over the song, first I go for what comes natural, and mm-hmm. then I go back and say, hey, is this melodic? Is this going to stick? Can I uh, 
singing in the shower with no music and it still makes sense to me and still sounds good. Right. And that's kind of how I base my melodies. If, if I can sing it away from the song and it stands on its own, then I know it's a strong melody. Yeah. You know, and then and I have to apply it within, the, of course, the chordings of the song to make it happen. Yeah, it's that's, that's one of the key things for me is to make sure that, that a melody stands on its own. Yeah, and that, that's an interesting thing because I think a lot of people, you know, probably, you know, listen to their back to the recording of a demo or something like that. But to say, you know, what does it sound like away from the song? You know, that's a, a fantastic, fantastic point because you know you listen to a lot of you know the Cookie Monster kind of vocals. If you took the music away from those, it might sound really, really strange. You know, as yeah, opposed to yeah. you know some of the you know melodic hard rock and stuff like that, which really work well in an acapella setting. So. Um, Anything in particular, you know, you've been doing this for, you know, as you mentioned, you you guys uh, got together with uh, Chris in the 80s. You worked with Axel Rudy Pell and Mars and things like that. Anything in particular to keep the voice strong after all these years? Uh, I think it's just, it's just discipline. You know, I don't, I don't drink a lot. I don't smoke. I live in Florida where the air is very moist. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much that helps, but I kind of hope it helps, but. The thing is, uh, uh, what's the correct word here? Fanatical, I guess. Whenever, mm. whenever we're touring around on the road, I really, I really have to put the voice first. I have to, I have to get my sleep. I have mm. to bring a humidifier in the room. I do all these quirky things that, right. that really just pay attention to the voice. And I think, as weird as that may sound, I think it's really helped me have longevity as far as vocal. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I don't feel any, weaknesses in my voice. In fact, I feel stronger now than as the years go on. It seems to be getting stronger and, and more versatile for me for somehow. Mm-hmm. It's interesting so, how many really great singers who came out of the 80s and early 90s will tell me that they only recently quit smoking. And, you know, you have to kind of do a double take, you know, like you smoked and saying like that. So it's, it's good to hear that. Um, yeah, yeah. Pressure for you... Having Graham Bonnet, to, you you kind of preceded Graham Bonnet in the band and then succeeded him. Uh, how was that? Uh, you know, on a young singer's mind, was was that intimidating? Um, I was intimidated yet starstruck because when I was coming up, you know, that Rainbow Down to Earth was probably one of my favorite albums of all mm-hmm. time. Sure, and that's Graham Bonnet, you know, with Rainbow, and it was like, wow, Graham Bonnet, man, how do you follow Graham Bonnet? The way that guy sings is such so unique and stylistic that mm-hmm. I think it's impossible to copy Graham Bond. I mean, come on. Sure. That voice and that grit and, and his range and, and melodic sense is really special, mm-hmm. I think. And, and for me, Graham is Graham and, and I'm me. And I, I realized that to me to get worked up over trying to copy Graham is a waste of time. And, sure. And, when I was at that point, I was like, you know, I, I got to focus on what I can do and be the best that I can be. Yeah. But I felt very privileged, you know, to to follow Graham after Stand in Line. It was, uh, I like the album a lot, and I think Graham did a great job. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I was yeah. off doing the Joshua record at the time, and, right. you know, who knows if, if, if I did that album, how different it would come out. But I think because the, you know, all the, the all-star players that Relativity Records put together for him at that time, I think that album came out great. Yeah, yeah. Now, you spent some time with, with an artist who I think is criminally underrated in the U.S., and I, I 
preach this a lot with Axel Rudy Pell. Um, how did you and, and Axel kind of get together during that period of time for the Nasty Reputation album? Uh, at that time, I had a manager who knew uh, knew of Axel Rudy Pell. I think he was actually managing him over there in Germany. Mm. And he said, uh, I got this German guitar player. He's in Steeler. Um, he needs a singer for his album. And I said, well, I'm about to go to California and do, you know, the Grin and Baird album with him, Pell and Terry. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, well, he just wants to do a studio album. You know, just come in, make some money, and that'll help you get, because I was living on the East Coast at the time, that'll right. help you get to the, to the West Coast. So I'm like, sure. all right. So I went over there, and I, I met Axel. It was great. They had some really good songs. Except they, you know, they told me, we have a problem. We're not so good with English, and all the songs have all the same words, you know? <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> My job was to take this song, put some more American words to it, and then sing it. And I was there for 10 days. We did 10 songs, and I, it, was, it was funny because I would get up in the morning, listen to the, the recordings that morning, and then I would work on the song all day for like 6 or 7 at night, and then I would go in and sing it. It's basically just live performances, you know, right. of that album, and it's, it's a great memory for me. It was very, very strong in uh, as a sense of of a test, like, you know, can you pull this off? Because it was a lot of pressure to write one song a day and then go record it the same day. Yeah, with the... I think I learned a lot from it, and mm-hmm. and I like the album. I actually was at Bang Your Head last summer with my solo act. Mm-hmm. And I went on stage with Axel and sang the title track, Nasty Reputation, live. So that was a lot of fun. Was that for the, the DVD they have? Is that going to be on the DVD that they're doing, do you know? Yeah, I think that's their 25th anniversary DVD awesome. coming out. Yeah. And I've, I've only sang uh, like one song, but, you know, but I'm glad to be a part of it because it came out great. So. Yeah, I mean, that that's a band that I think, you know, any more than with Chris and Graham Bonnet uh, and, and yourself, you know, you look at uh, Axel, it's a kind of a similar situation. He's had such incredible vocalists with Jeff and Johnny and yourself. Um, and, and, you know, I listen to that music and think if, if that band could have been in the United States in 1986, it would have been an arena act, you know, with the kind of music they play. You know, it's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So um, with Impelitary now, obviously, with the new record, Venom, coming out, are, are you guys going to be able to do any touring in the U.S., or is that still kind of up in the air? Yeah, I'm hoping. I mean, right now, you know, we're putting out the word. We're hoping someone picks it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking to some agencies now. We're talking to an agent in Europe. And, of course, we're doing a, a Japan tour in May. So I'm hoping that when we come off of the Japan tour, we can go right into something else. Mm-hmm. Now that the, the you know, impelitary, if I'm correct, that oh, you guys always enjoyed a pretty good following in Japan, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think I think I've toured there myself like seven times. I think. Okay. It's really a, always a great time over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's excellent. All right. Well, awesome. Well, we look forward to the release of Venom. Um, we hope we catch you guys on the road, and uh, hopefully, it's not another six or seven years in between impelitary albums, uh, Rob. So we appreciate. I hear you. Your time. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Rob Brock, for taking the time to talk to us. The album's called Venom. comes out on April 21st. That about wraps up this episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to drop us a line at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. And check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Until next time, thanks for listening. (laughs) 